We're going to start a new series today that I'm just calling Walking in Love. You'll see it today. We're going to walk in love and truth today, and we'll be in a couple of uh, the epistles, and I want to give you a little bit of background on that. So find, if you will, um, find, if you will, 2 Thessalonians and 2 John. So both, the, both those are a little tricky to find. I'll give you a little bit of time to find that, and I'll give you um, some background here. We're going to talk a little bit today about, uh, in the context of love, we're going to talk, and, and by the way, next week we'll be in James 4. I know I'm skipping all over, but okay, that's where we're going to be, James 4. Uh, now, <clears throat> it's interesting to me, if I watch uh, religious TV, for instance, which I don't do very much of, I, I value my uh, sanity much more than that, okay, but you realize that um, uh, a lot of what we hear disguised as truth is something else. Uh, Ron and I were talking to a painter this week, uh, and, and I, I would, uh, we were watching another movie, and there was kind of this thought about um, uh, the guys who tell you they need you to send your Social Security check so they can buy a new airplane. Okay, I mean, I'm just thinking, okay, and yet, isn't it, it's interesting because there are some, even in that context, um, who, who believe in kind of a different spin on the gospel, this prosperity gospel deal, where, where it's like, well, but that's truth and what you believe is not true. So uh, we're in a tricky time, I, I think, with that. Um, the problem is that what one church considers heresy might be normal and central to another church's doctrine. This has been going on since the early days of the church, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. For instance, the issue of um, uh, circumcision, they dealt with a lot in, in the New Testament because there were those who taught that in order to become Christian, in order to be a Christ follower, you had to first be Jewish. Can you imagine what that would have done to the influx of Gentile believers in that first century? And so there was argument over that. And there was literally factionism over that, in, including uh, not a little bit of violence over that. One of the constant threats from false teachers in the New Testament, during the New Testament day, considered, uh, centered on the nature of Jesus, who he really was. <clears throat> the first century taught that Jesus was fully human and fully God. Okay, so let me give you a sentence that I memorized a long time ago. <coughs> I don't remember from where. It, it doesn't make human sense, but it helps me frame it. Jesus was as much God as, he were, as if he were not man at all. And he was as much man as if he were not God at all. Now, I'm not supposed to understand that. Okay? But it's true. That's the Jesus that, that the Bible presents to us. Church leaders knew that an overemphasis or an underemphasis on either part of that truth would quickly lead to heresy. So they really carefully guarded uh, both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. So Paul and John are in the middle of that fight, and we're going to deal with some of their writings today. Now let me, let me give you a little bit of background on, um, on 2 Thessalonians, and then we'll, we'll, I'll give you a little bit of background just for a minute on... Um, on uh, 2 John, and then we'll go on. Uh, 
Thessalonians, the, both the letters to the Thessalonians were early, early. Uh, we think this letter was written from the city of Corinth in about 52 AD. Um, uh, they were written just a couple of months apart and among the very earliest writings in the New Testament. Paul had been in Thessalonica earlier, but he didn't get to stay very long. We'll read why that took place. So he writes back to them even quickly here, teaching them things that he wants to be sure they catch, uh, really important issues that they're going to have to deal with. And he's, in particular, he wants to make sure that they're resistant to this kind of heresy. In particular, with Paul, it was this Judaizing that we talked about uh, a minute ago. Now, uh, John um, is called in second, uh, John is called the elder. Uh, we believe that this was written by uh, John the apostle from the first century who wrote a few of the books in the New Testament, first, second, third John. What's interesting, even though they're written first, second, and third John, we're really not sure what order they were given in, what order they were written in. Um, but uh, this is how tradition has kind of uh, set this all up. Um, the letter is addressed, if you're looking at uh, 2 John, the letter is addressed to the lady. You see that? We'll deal with that in just a minute too. Um, and, and we'll kind of, the, uh, the elder to the chosen lady and her children, he says. So we're going to talk about that. And he's going to talk a lot about truth here. Um, uh, we think the lady may have been a prominent, uh, maybe an elder in, in the Ephesian church where John was at the time, or uh, it may have, he may be talking specifically or kind of generally about the church and her children being uh, converts, the people involved in the church. So we'll talk about that, that in just a little bit. Now, would you agree with me that there has never been more of a time than today for truth. There was a second heresy that was dealt with that John is going to deal with, which, by the way, is, is so important to you and me today, but it was really important to them. Uh, it was a, a heresy called, we've already talked about the Judaizers that Paul dealt with a lot. Uh, John is going to deal with uh, a, a particular philosophical tradition called docetism. It comes from a Greek word that means to seem. The primary idea of docetism was that Christ's sufferings were only apparent. They weren't real. Uh, as one writer sums it up, docetism maintained that against Christian affirmations, he, he, he remained to, he affirmed to the contrary that Christ's existence was mere semblance without any true reality. And so that gets you to, in later centuries, gets you to this idea of Gnosticism, which if you remember, we really had to kind of go after, even in this church a couple of years ago, when the Dan Brown stuff started coming out, and uh, 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 the Da Vinci Code and all that, that, that really kind of upset people even in the, in the 2000s, um, because this old Gnostic idea began to come back out. I like Tom Hanks, really like Tom Hanks. I haven't watched that movie, don't intend to, and I'm definitely not going to read the book. So, um, because it really is just a rehash of something that's 
couple thousand years old. So, docetism becomes a highly destructive heresy of Gnosticism in the second century, and John is going after it as early as, uh, as AD 80 and 90 when he's writing these letters. Let's read some. Um, Father Blair, are you tuned up? Okay, okay. I, I'm just, I thought, thought I heard you warming up over there. That, that was good. Mm -hmm. All right, if you would do 2 Thessalonians, we're going to start in chapter 3, and if you read those five verses. Acts 17. I'm going to have you read verse 5 and 6 in just a minute. I thought I'd give you a little warning on that one, if you don't mind. Um, now, what we're going to deal with here is Paul is talking to them. You remember he established the church, but he was only there like two or three weeks. So he's got to do a lot of his teaching with them. He's a lot of his discipling with them by letter. And he's written those these two letters uh, the second one included here. What is he asking for here? What kind of prayer is he asking for? This is interesting to me. He wants them to know that he's praying for them. And then he says, but you pray for me too. You know, this is kind of a two-way street. What's he asking for? Did you catch that? He's asking for some protection for them. But when he asks them to pray for him, what is he asking for? This is really interesting. He's asking for you to pray that the gospel will spread. I think. Is that about right? In verse 1? Um, it, you catch this where he says, um, uh, he's asking for, um, pray that the gospel will be honored. Okay? Now, one of the things that I've just got to admit that I believe I'm involved in the spread of the gospel on most days, if not every day. But I think it's interesting that I don't often remember to pray for the spread of the gospel. That's probably something we ought to pray about. Okay? I have reminders come across my desk every day, or, or certainly every couple of days, from... Um, 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 spiritual organizations who are involved in the front edge of spreading the gospel in places that are really dark, uh, uh, like in the Muslim world. And that ought to remind me to just stop for a minute and pray for the spread of the gospel. That's what Paul's asking for. I pray for you. Would you pray for me? Pray for us that the gospel will spread. So it may be one of the things that you, you look at in the new year is how can I pray that the gospel be spread? Okay, now, in verse 2, okay, in verse 2 of chapter 3, uh, he's talking about being rescued. He's asking also that he, Paul, will be rescued from perverse and evil men. 
all right? Does he know about the truth here that he says, not all have faith? I want John to read for us what happened uh, when John was in Thessalonica the last time, okay? It didn't go, it, he established this church really quickly, but it didn't, it went south pretty quick. Uh, John, read 17, 5, and 6 from Acts 17. These are people who claim to have faith. What did they do? Mob. The mob. If Paul wrote a book about this chapter in his life, it might be called Three Weeks in Thessalonica. You know, and it would include, uh, you know, beatings and all that kind of stuff and having to be run out of town. For fear of his life. All right, so Paul understands what they're dealing with. He understands, he knows all about opposition. That's the word that goes in there. But he also knows the truth of verse 3 that there is one who can always be counted upon. Did you catch that as Steve read it? But the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Um, Absent from them, he has to rely on God to strengthen and protect them. Now, I began to think about this and try to apply it a little bit in my own life. And I recognize that there are those that I'm away from that I worry way too much about and I need to pray a lot more for. Because those who are away from me that need the protection and the strengthening of God I've just got to ask him for it and then trust him to take care of it. Why? Because he is, did you catch what it says here? He is faithful. He will do what I can't do. He can span the miles in a way that I can't. And so the worries that I have about, you know, four little people in particular in Michigan and, uh, and two not-so-little people, uh, the worries I have about a little girl that lives on 43rd Street in Oklahoma City when I can't be over there. I need to ask the Lord to take, I need to ask him to strengthen them and to protect them because God is faithful. Catch that little truth right there? It couldn't be more important. Only one can always be counted upon. Now, I think it's interesting in verse 4, um, um, he trusts, if, if you read, the, if, if I read the verse correctly, we have confidence in the Lord. So he has confidence in God concerning you, he says, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. So the idea is uh, that Paul has confidence in the Lord, but also in the Thessalonians. <coughs> I, I put a reference in here. We won't go over there just right now, but, but I put a reference in here to... Uh, uh, when he's writing to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 
um, um, 2, verse 3, he talks about how confident he is that they're going to do the right thing. And this church was a mess. The Thessalonians actually are doing much better than the Corinthians were doing during kind of the same time. And yet he's, he continues to express the confidence he has in them. It's not misplaced confidence. What I want to say is, have I become far too pessimistic? If Paul can write to the Corinthians and say, you know, you're doing okay. <laughs> then some of the junk I'm pessimistic about, maybe I ought to change the way I think. Okay? Maybe I ought to just stop reading the paper. Okay? I, I, during the snow days this week, uh, the Oklahoma can't find Southwest 99th Street. And, um, you know, I don't know, it, it seems like a pretty pretty well-traveled thing, but it couldn't find me for a couple days. I'm thinking, maybe I'm just not read the paper anymore. It depresses me anyway. Okay? Um, isn't it interesting? I, I check several times of the day. I'll be checking on, on uh, how the stock market is doing. And one time, okay, just going to be honest, I, I don't know which side of this thing you're, you're on, so I'll throw us. Throw everybody under the bus. One time I'll check CNN. And the next time I'll check Fox News, their, the website, okay? It is so funny to me that I can watch, you know, before I get to the business page, I'll see the headline there. And the uh, headlines on one are 180 degrees different from, from the way the other one approaches the same stinking story. It's just amazing. To, it's like what's true in one place is completely false in the other and vice versa. Truthfulness, uh, do, uh, truthfulness is a big deal. So the idea here is I'm a, I need to walk in love, but I also need to walk in truth. Okay, now, let, let's deal with this just a little bit here. Look at verse 5, Okay. We need direction, verse 5, in love, but we also need direction in what I'm going to call here determination. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. In your, if you're reading the NIV or maybe some other translation, it's going to say, I think, perseverance of Christ. The, the idea here is, I think, that... Um, I, I need to have devotion, ex, um, experience in how I service, uh, serve other people. But I need to recognize that Jesus stayed with that till the very end. He never gave up. I was talking to a friend Thursday morning about uh, Jesus' perseverance, his determination, his steadfastness all the way to the cross. Despite how hard it was. I think when he prayed in the garden, not my will but thine be done. Wouldn't we have all been tempted to just kind of throw in the towel right there? And yet, he saw this through to the very, very bitter end. For you. Because he loved you. He was determined to express that love to you. He was steadfast in that plan. He persevered to the very end so that I can look at his example as an example of determination 
and perseverance. And here's what I want. Can I, can I have you write three words here that we're going to kind of deal with in this series? You ready? This year, what I think God is telling me to do is to be determined to love. Be determined to love. I'm going to unpack those a little bit. I won't do it as much here. But the idea is, it, sometimes it takes a determination to love another person. It takes a perseverance to see that through. And it needs to last. This year, I'm committed to being determined to love. Now, let's go over, okay, so turn to the right a little bit and go to the second letter of John. I gave you a little background. Remember, they're dealing with this, this docetism thing where uh, Jesus was fully God, but he, we're not really sure he was man. Okay, or, or maybe he was man, but he's not really God. It's a, a really, really confusing thing for those of us who have the benefit of 2,000 years' experience, but it hasn't gone away, even 2,000 years later. So, uh, Cindy, would you mind reading 4, 5, and 6? going to hang on to that idea about walking in love here, but, but let's, let's launch into verse 4. Is this a figurative reference or uh, a direct reference to a lady? Okay, now, um, is there a woman he's addressing? You know, there have been all kinds of things written on this. For our purposes, let's consider that he's talking to the church as the lady. So, if he were writing to Crossings Church, he would refer to um, he would use the personal pronoun she. Okay, uh, I went to Crossings Church last week, and she fed me well. Okay, that kind of an idea. Okay, let let's think about that from this point. Uh, it's a figurative reference. What is he impressed by in verse four here? I'm very glad for what. You're walking in truth. Your kids are walking in truth. Okay? So the offspring of the lady, this church, are walking in truth. They're, they're, they get it. And you ever say that? Wow, he gets it. She gets it. That's kind of what, they're, what he's referring to in, in my more common uh, today nomenclature. Uh, he's impressed by their walk in truth. Now you and I know uh, we've talked about a little bit for them, but certainly for us, in the day of, uh, and I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to, this is in a, a term that I'm coining here. Um, uh, this is um, uh, what we're hearing daily, this idea of fake news, fake truth, okay? Raises questions about whether or not the Bible is really true. If Americans have become cynical about the possibility of where, whether anyone is telling the truth. What about preachers and teachers in churches? You and I are going to, have to be committed to finding the truth, to walking in that truth. And he's commending them 
in this uh, Thessalonian church for doing just that. All right? Uh, he, he believes that they, um, and to use the word here, they kind of get it. Okay? So, he gives them a command in verse 5 that is a very interesting command. What is it? Interesting to me, anyway. Love one another. And it's funny to me um, because he says this is a new command, but it's also an old one, right? It's, it's an old one. Uh, this new command was also an old one. And, and this is not complicated. Now, I want us to look. Just I, I want to prove this, so... Go with me. Take a little walk back to the left to John 15, John 13, sorry. This is Jesus. In my Bible, the words are in red, which means Jesus spoke them. John 13, he's in the upper room with the disciples, and he says, in John 13, verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so you also ought to love one another. Now, so... Jesus says it's a new command, but John heard it. And John has been teaching it. So it's not new to him. But he wants to make sure that they understand that this is Jesus' new command. This is kind of the context of which we live out church. All right? Now, go from there to 15, verse 12. Still in red. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now go back to 2 John, turn back one page. Well, actually, you can look across the page. At 1 John 3, verse 11, John seems to be really interested in this issue. For this message is, this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It's new, but it's also old. Jesus has said it. They've walked in it for years. John has been teaching it. Remember, he was the one that sometimes calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He teaches about it in 1 John. He tries to kind of flesh that out there. I'm going to tell you, uh, and again, I, I made reference a little bit ago to, uh, to the fact that I'm kind of ready to turn the page on. I was kind of ready to turn the page on 2018 because I've just uh, I lost a couple of people that are very important to me in particular, and and many of you have done the same. But one of the things that, that was said in two funeral services, uh, of which I was a part this year, is when we lost Rhonda's brother suddenly. And then I began to think about the loss of our good friend Brian. We were talking about this the other day. Brian Clemens. Harry was your friend too. Both of these men... The further they went through life, the more loving they became. That's impressive to me. I think that's what John's talking about here. So, could it be? Could it be that the barometer for me of how 2019 is going to go is, did you love today? What did you get done today? You know, I got a list of things. I, I literally wrote myself an email yesterday morning titled chores <laughs> so I could click them off so I can look okay what what have I got yet to do and by the way I didn't get them all done sorry 
I'll work on that today, sure. Okay. <laughs> chores. I wake up every day with a list of chores. Should I put on my list just the four-letter word love? Amen. Did I love today? I, I really think it's critical here. The most, verse 6, the most basic teaching of Jesus is to walk in love. This is not advanced. This is not complex. It's a single command. And I, I'm coming more and more to believe that when I come to the end of my life and stand before the Lord, he's going to ask me two things. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with my son? I think I've got that one okay. Pretty important, right? Did you love is the second question. Because I can get the first one right and somehow I, I can get all the theology right. But I've got to live that out in how I treat you. The ones closest to me. And how I treat those with whom I work and around whom I live. Did you love today? Okay, let's look at another passage here, okay? What about the untrue? Now, this is very interesting to me. I want you to go down to 2 John uh, verse 7. Oh, by the way, there's only one chapter, so there's not a chapter deal here, okay? And uh, Karen, if you're following us, would you read 7 down through 11? Okay, I'm going to fill in your next three blanks, and I'm going to, then I'm going to go back, okay? Because I'm, I'm, I'm watching time, all right? This is not a hypothetical situation, nor is it today. They were dealing with it then, we're dealing with it now. This is a warning for you and I as churches and as individuals in those churches to finish well. And we're to be aware of what I'm going to call new doctrines, okay? Now, let me go back and flesh all that out, all right, a little bit, okay? Now, anybody know, I asked somebody this question on the phone earlier this morning. You know what today is? In the year, what is today? January 6th, good, we got that right. It is, actually, the, is it the 13th? Anyway, last night was 12th night, if you're in England. And by the way, over there, if you don't get your Christmas stuff put up by 12th night, you got to leave it out till the next year, or you're cursed for the year. But you remember that on the first day of Christmas? Okay, this was, the, yesterday was the 12th day, I think, Dan. Now, I'm not positive that, but if you start at 25, I think it might have been yesterday. This is Epiphany Sunday. This Epiphany Sunday was celebrated, the season of Epiphany was celebrated 
a long time before Advent was celebrated. That means that Epiphany was celebrated before Christmas was celebrated in the, in the old church. Isn't that interesting? And yet we've kind of lost it. What Epiphany celebrates, if you're in one part of Christendom, you celebrate Epiphany as the visit of the Magi. In fact, in places like uh, uh, Mexico, they may call this Dia de los Reyes, which is a, a day where you give gifts. Or they'll put gifts in the kids' shoes and they find, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, this is, uh, so in, in one tradition, in the West, they'll talk about the visit of the kings. In the East, they talk about, um, they talk about Jesus' baptism, his first miracle, John 2. But the whole thing, okay, is about going after what John is going after in his book that you and I are calling fake news. And that is the fake news that John was going after is no incarnation, literally no Christmas. John was going after in his letters, don't buy it that Jesus wasn't human. He was incarnated. He put on flesh and walked among us fully experiencing what you and I experience. That's what Epiphany Sunday celebrates, really, the incarnation. I made chili last night. You can't have any. It was really good. I'm having it for supper tonight, too, okay? But what I like about chili, I remember in eastern Kentucky, we went to a place and asked them to put chili on a hot dog, and they put something on it that I don't even know what it was. They called it sauce. I like chili because chili, if you and I know Oklahoma chili, is chili con carne with meat. Jesus took on flesh. That's what today celebrates. The incarnation of Jesus. So John says, don't buy the fake news. And he goes on to say, he talks about this idea of the Antichrist, where some believe that's kind of a, a person, but really the idea, the context here, the word anti in Greek is the word substitute. It's talking about a false prophet who's presenting another way. Well, so how serious is false teaching? It's a big deal. You buy into what they're going they're trying to sell in the in the Thessalonian church in, or in the Ephesian church, and there's no Christmas. Theology matters. Theology matters. Don't so John goes as far here to say, don't welcome them, don't be rude to them, but don't welcome them. Be careful that you don't become partners with them because what they're teaching matters, what you're supposed to teach matters okay so here's where we're going to end it here's kind of what I want to deal with in this uh, in this series but uh, this will kind of set the tone for it ready what I'm looking for today what I think what I think both Paul and John are telling me certainly Paul says it when he's writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4 when he says uh, speak the truth in love Okay? I'm looking for love, not hatred. I'm, lo I'm going to live this out. Being loving, so living in love, not hatred. 
and living in truth, not falsehood. Depending on which news channel you watch, you can put fake news in there, okay? <laughs> living in love, not hatred. Living in truth, not falsehood.